You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, praise the Lord. Man, it's good to be out here tonight. I love it, and I preach a bunch in the summertime outside in the heat. And you think a man does that ought to sweat enough to get skinny. But Mays Jackson told me when I was 18 years old, he said, Joe, I believe you are a good boy, but you can't preach until you get a pulpit bumper and bald-headed. Boy, would he ever be proud of me because I'm bald-headed and I got a pulpit bumper. I know thin is in, but fat's where it's at. Somebody said amen. Matthew chapter number three, good to be back again. I appreciate you so very much. And this has been a very different, strange uh, 14 months our nation has gone through. And uh, we every time I feel like we're about over it, somebody will sneeze, and here we go again. But I'm glad something good is about to happen. And that is revival or either the rapture one. And either is fine with me, and I do appreciate the goodness of the Lord. God is better to us than we deserve. And I feel a preaching spell coming on. The Lord is good. And I know it's hot, and I know them chairs are not padded, but a couple hours and we'll be done. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter number three, turn to somebody beside of you and say, hey, you look better with your mask on. Amen. I was complaining to my wife about my mask, and she said, you ought to thank the Lord for it. I said, why? She said, it improves your looks by 50%. And then I said, get behind me, Satan. I shouldn't have done that. The Lord is good. If you save, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. If you're glad about it, raise both of them and say, praise the Lord. Matthew chapter number three, begin reading in verse number one. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and say, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, here's my text tonight, the voice of how many? One. The voice of how many? One. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And I'm interested tonight in that little phrase in verse number three where it said that John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, for the past 14 months in our country, we have heard from everybody, from everywhere, about everything. And nothing they said today matched anything they said yesterday, and tomorrow, if they open their mouth, it won't make no more sense than what it did today. We have heard from everybody, from everywhere, 
about everything. But I believe tonight more than ever, our world, our nation, our families, our towns and our cities need to hear the voice of the church. We need to hear the voice of the redeemed. You know, the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, you know why it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so? Because the redeemed are the only ones that have anything worth saying. You see, the Bible said that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Now, think about that. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And therefore, tonight, I believe in the world of deception, the church is a voice of truth. I'm glad what we're preaching tonight is not fables. It is not fairy tales. It is the truth. And Jesus said that kind of truth and that only kind of truth is the truth that will set men free. And so in the world of deception, the church is a voice of truth. I believe tonight the church is a voice of light in a world of darkness. It's dark in this world tonight. It's dark morally. It's dark politically. The religious scene is dark. But what a wonderful time for the church to step up to the plate and shine as lights in a dark world. So the church is a voice of light in a dark world. I believe tonight the church is a voice of hope and a world of despair. It seems like every newscast, every broadcast, every news headline is one sorrow, one tragedy, one bad news after another. And this world tonight is about to sink in the abyss of helplessness and despair. But I'm glad the church, praise God, has a message of hope in the midst of a world filled with despair. We have heard from politics. We have heard from religion. We have heard from Hollywood. We have heard from the sports world. We have heard from everybody, from everywhere, about everything. But I believe tonight it's time for the church, the redeemed of God, to lift our voice in this wilderness in which we live and declare the greatness and the awesomeness of our God because things may change, people may change, the world may change, Fauci may change, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever lifting up that one voice. Now, we come tonight to this man named John the Baptist. What a life, what a man, what a ministry. And someone said, what was John the Baptist? Well, the Bible said that he was a forerunner. In other words, he was a man sent from God to prepare the way for the first advent of his son. And so therefore, John the Baptist went through the wilderness saying something like this, prepare, get ready, somebody's coming. Prepare, get ready, somebody's coming. And I'm glad tonight that somebody came and Jesus is his name. 
I wonder how many would agree with me tonight concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. God got it right. All of the promises, all of the prophecies, all of the predictions concerning his first coming was fulfilled to the minute detail. He came when God said, he came where God said, and he came the way that God said. God got it right about the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus. And so John's preparing the way, saying, get ready. Somebody's a coming. John would say, I'm not that somebody. That somebody that's coming is greater than me. He was before me. I must decrease. He must increase. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. But prepare and get ready. Somebody's coming. And I'm glad that somebody came. And Jesus is his name. You say, now what has that got to do with us? You got questions? I got answers. You know what the church is today? We're forerunners, just like John the Baptist. God has sent the church. God has sent his bride, his building, his body, his battalion. God has sent his church to the world tonight to prepare the way, not for the first advent, but for the second advent of his son. Yes, you're looking at a preacher that still believes in the literal, physical, verily, surely return of Jesus Christ. How many believe he got it right about the first coming? Well, I promise you tonight, he's got it right about his second coming. He got it right the first time, and I promise you tonight, he's got it right about the second time. Every promise, every prophecy, every prediction concerning his second coming will be fulfilled to the minute detail. Therefore, tonight, this is our message. This is our mission. This is our purpose. The church is to go out through all of the land saying something like this. Prepare. Get ready. Somebody's coming. Prepare. Get ready. Somebody's coming. And I'm glad I know who that somebody is. And just as he did not disappoint the first time, he will not disappoint the second time. God got it right about the first time, and he's got it right about the second time. The only difference will be this. The first time he came, he came in a manger. But the next time he comes, he'll come in the clouds of glory. The first time he rode in Jerusalem, he rode on a little donkey. But the next time he rides in, he's riding on a white stallion. While the first time he came, they took three rusty nails and impaled him to a cross. But the next time he comes, he was set upon the throne. The first time he came, they cried, take him away, crucify him. But when he comes again, they'll bow before him and lift up one mighty voice and sing, oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. While the first time he came, he came as a lowly shepherd boy. But the next time he comes, he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. While the first time he came, he was born as David's little boy. 
but the next time he comes, he's coming as the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. While the first time he came, he was just a lowly lamb as a sacrifice. But the next time he'll come, he'll come as king of every king and lord of every lord. I'm glad he is coming again. And our church, the body of Christ, we need to lift our one voice up in this wilderness of apostasy, in this wilderness of sin, in this wilderness of unbelief, and lift our voice and say, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. Let me ask you this tonight. I wonder how many under this tent, you're glad when you was a sinner, a half a heartbeat from hell, dying without God, somebody in your world lifted up that one voice and pointed you to the Lamb of God, to the sacrifice, to the Redeemer, to the Savior. Don't you think tonight the world needs to hear the voice of the church? And so John is lifting that one voice. You say, now, Brother Joe, how successful do you think he was at lifting that voice? Well, he's evidently been successful enough that people have responded to that voice and he's down by the River Jordan baptizing those who have repented of their sin. I want you to go with me tonight to the banks of the Jordan River. I want you to attend this baptismal service. Every time I think about being baptized in the river, Curtis Hudson said when he came to Atlanta and took Forest Hills about 20 minutes from us, they run about 19 or 20. And after he was there about 12 years, they were running 3,000. And so they had to have a baptistry. He said, but some of them Georgia rednecks said, no, sir. I want to be baptized and run in water. I said, Brother Curtis, what did you do? He said, I saved them for last and pulled the plug and baptized them on the way down. But I want you to go with me to this baptizing. Oh, John's up there by the river. Now watch this. He's lifting that one voice. And so I see John as he stops right in the middle of the baptizing. He beckons with his hand, and the opening word is an attention-getting word. They say this word in the Greek means to stand at all. Something big is about to happen. Brother Tom Hayes said this word meant stop, looky-looky. It's about to get on. Well, in Georgia, North Carolina, it would be, y'all watch this. John points with his finger. He gestures with his hand. Boy, you talking about lifting up the voice. He lifts that voice and he makes this statement. Behold, behold, behold. That is an attention-getting word. Up to this point, they had got a glimpse. But now they're about to get a gaze. Behold. And as John lifts up his voice, notice what he did not say. He didn't say, behold, a lamb of God. He didn't say, behold, some lamb of God. He didn't say, behold, one of the many different lambs of God. John said, stand in amazement. Look over yonder. 
He's lifting his voice. Behold the Lamb of God. Ladies and gentlemen, can I remind you tonight that he is not a lamb. He is not some lamb, but he is the lamb. He is not a door. He is not some door. He is the door. He is not a way or some way. He is the way. He is not a life or some life. He is the life. He is not not a savior or some savior. He is the savior. He is not a redeemer or some redeemer. He is the redeemer. He is not a shepherd. He is not some shepherd. He is the shepherd. He is not a resurrection or some resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is not a king. He is not some king. He is the king. He is not a redeemer or some Redeemer. He is the Redeemer. He is not a great high priest or some high priest. He is the high priest. He is not a true vine, some true vine. He is the true vine. He is not a mediator or some mediator. My God, I feel like preaching right there. He is the mediator. Can I remind you tonight, Christ is not an answer. He is not some answer. He is the answer. He is not an emancipator or some emancipator. He is the emancipator. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, there is one faith. There is one Lord. There is one door. There is one God. There is one way. There is one salvation. There is one Christ. There is one Messiah. There is one Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God in this world of religious confusion the church must lift our voice and make the message clear and plain. It's Jesus and Jesus only. It's Jesus and Jesus only. Let's lift our one voice and magnify the greatness of our God. Notice what he said in that lifting up his voice. Behold the Lamb of God. And say that little phrase with me, Lamb of God. Do you understand they had never heard a priest say that? They had never heard a Levite say that? They had never heard a rabbi say that? That was the first time in their life they had heard a man say, Lamb of God. Now, they are religious. They are familiar with the Old Testament. And they knew there had been lambs before. Why they knew that Abel had a lamb in the book of Genesis, that Moses had a lamb in the book of Exodus, that Israel had a lamb in the book of Leviticus, that Aaron had a lamb in the book of Numbers. But now all of a sudden, they are pointing to one. It's not Aaron's lamb. It's not Moses' lamb. It's not Aaron's lamb. It's not Israel's lamb. For the first time in their life, they have been pointing to one who the only one is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Can I remind you church tonight, this is God's church. This is God's work. This is God's Bible. Jesus is God's son and it's God's salvation. Brother, we're not dealing in man's stuff. We're not dealing in political stuff. It's even higher than Baptist stuff. It's God's way. It's God's truth. It's God's salvation and it's not 
about us, but it's all about him. Behold the Lamb of God. And then when I think he can't get any better, John shoves it in high gear. And he really says something they had never heard in their life. Behold the Lamb of God, listen to this, that taketh away the sin of the world. The only word in that verse they were familiar with was the word sin. The prophets before Jesus had made them aware of their sin, the consequences of sin, the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin, the judgment of sin, the burden of sin, the scars of sin, the weight of sin. And now for the first time in their life, they're hearing this one voice crying in the wilderness, look over yonder, there is God's remedy, there is God's antidote, there is God's redeemer, there is God's lamb, and you know what he can do? He can take away your sin. They had never heard the priest say that. They had never heard the Levite say that. They had never heard a rabbi say that. But for the first time in their life, they're being pointed to one who's right for what's wrong in their life. Oh, they knew what their sin had done, but now they're being pointed to somebody who can take it away. Do you realize tonight, ladies and gentlemen, how many homes, how many families, how many mothers, how many fathers, how many young people, people across the city of Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina needs to hear a child of God lift their voice and say he can do something about your drug addiction. He can do something about your suicide. He can do something about the stains of sin in your life. I wonder if there's anybody under this tabernacle tonight. You're glad when you was a sinner. Somebody lifted their voice and said, look over yonder. There's somebody that can do something about it. And he said, the Lamb of God taketh away. I've got wrote down on my notes, holler glory right here. Glory right here. They had heard a little, but they had not heard the best. They had heard a portion, but they had not heard the best. He said, what do you mean by that? Well, up to this point, they had heard that God could cast their sins in the depths of the sea. That's good, but not the best. Up to this point, they had heard that God could seal it up in a bag. That's good, but not the best. They had heard up to this point that he could pardon their iniquity. That's good, but not the best. Up to this point, they had heard he could cast it behind his back. That's good, but not the best. Up to this point, they had heard he could separate it as far as the east is from the west. That's good, but not the best. Up to this point, they heard he could atone it, perpetuate it, cover it. That's good, but not the best. You say you've lost your mind. You came to hear me. Oh, Brother Joe, 
What are you saying? Well, if it's in the depths of the sea, it's still there. If it's behind his back, it's still there. If it's in a bag, it's still there. If it's separated east, it's from the west, it's still there. If it's covered, it's still somewhere under there. You say, Brother Joe, what could be better than in the depths of the sea? The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. What could be better than being in the depths of the sea? Gone. What could be better than sealed up in a bag? Gone. What could be better than behind his back? Gone. What could be better than east is from the west? Gone. What could be better than covered? Gone. Can I promise you tonight, on this side of Calvary, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, your sins are not covered. Your sins are not pardoned. They're not smashed. They're not slashed. They're not dashed. You say, where are they? I don't know. I ain't looking for them. They are gone. They don't even exist. God has no record of my life after salvation. It's like the day I got saved was the first day of the, I'm about to have me a spell under this tent. Brother, I'm here to tell you the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, he takes away the guilt of sin and the condemnation of sin and the scars of sin and the shame of sin. Our world needs to hear the church lift up their voice and say, there is somebody who can take away your sin. Most normal families, I said normal families, after pastoring the same church 37 years, there ain't no normal family. But most normal families, when they get together for Christmas or Thanksgiving, you know, they eat ham or eat turkey and talk and, you know, just have a decent time of fellowship. Not my family, because we're not normal. Let me tell you what my three, and one of them's here tonight, and I'm hoping she'll be saved before this revival comes to a close. But my three sisters and all my family, they get together, and you know what the family entertainment is? To bring up all the dumb stuff I did. Not what they did, that's off limits. Let me tell you the difference between boys and girls. They're both mean. But boys are just right out mean. Girls are sneaky mean. Intimidating mean. Manipulating mean. Every young girl in this room tonight knows how to manipulate. She learned it from her manipulating mother. Can I get a witness under the tent? They want to talk about all the stuff that I did. Last time we were together, I raised my hand. I said, wait just a minute. There's no way. There is no way that one little boy could ever be that dumb or that mean. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I looked over there at my precious mother who went through the valley of the shadow of death to bring me into this world. And if anybody that come to the aid of their little baby boy, it'll be their mother. And I looked over that my mother and I said, Mama, 
They lying, ain't they? My precious darling mother that went through the valley of the shadow of death to bring me into this world looked at me and said, Honey, the half has never been told. And this is what I said. My sisters may not forget it. My cousins may not forget it. There's a bunch of people in the Rono Crafts won't forget it. And the devil won't forget it. And he's going to try to make me not forget it. But I want you to talk to my heavenly father and say, Father, what's in the book beside of Joe Arthur's name? My heavenly father's going to say, paid in full by the blood of the lamb. My sins are gone. They've been taken away. They're never to remember it against me anymore. I want to tell you the church tonight needs to lift our voice and tell a world that's reeling and rocking its way to hell because of sin. There's a bomb in Gilead. There's a sympathizing Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's right for what's wrong in our lives. As I preach another night in Tennessee, Sparta, Tennessee. You say, where is Sparta, Tennessee? You can't get there from here. You say, what's the equivalent of Sparta, Tennessee? Well, it's about as big as rednecks as Weldon, North Carolina. Say amen right there. Well, I was preaching in Sparta, Tennessee. Boy, after church, they brought a young man whose hair was dripping in rain. I preached up a storm that night. Son, while I was a preacher, the lightning flash, the thunder wrote, we, we, we had a frog strangler. You know how to tell if it's raining cats and dogs? You go outside and step in a poodle. You'll get that after a while. Son, they brought in that young man. He was just drenched. Son, you could tell he had lived a hard life. And I saw him down there praying with him. And they told me this story after church. Said this little boy had been on meth. And everybody in that town tried to help that boy. Nobody could seemingly help him. He saw that little church parking lot full of cars. And he wanted to know what was going in. But it had come a rain and he was muddy. Because he had ridden his bicycle two miles in the rain to that little church in Sparta, Tennessee. He was ashamed of his appearance, so he wouldn't come in. And I noticed while I was preaching, right beside of the pulpit was a, a metal door that went outside. Brother Coburn, I, I didn't know this, but the whole time I was a preaching, that little boy was standing out there in the lightning, the thunder, and rain with his ear pressed to that door hearing every word I was saying I got through preaching and he made his way under the awning and thank God for mature godly deacons a mature godly deacon walked up there and saw that boy sitting up against the pole the light pole and he was crying he said young man can I help you he said I know I'm wet and I know I'm muddy I just got out of rehab my life's a mess but I heard that preacher say through that door a while ago that Jesus could take my sins away and I want to find out for myself. Some that boy got saved. He come back the next night. I'll tell you what happened. He got saved and I got recapped. I thought about having little boys tonight. Dope's got them. The world's got them. Philosophy of mankind has got them. And they need to hear the church lift up our voice and say,
He saves sinners. Make the message clear and plain. Again, let me ask you, aren't you glad when you was a sinner, lost without God, somebody lifted up their voice? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You say, well, what happened after that? We'll come back to our text, chapter 3. One thing about Brother Joe, it may take me a while, but I will get back to my text. Chapter 3 of Matthew, they're baptizing those that have responded to the message of John 1. Behold the Lamb of God. When you go home tonight, if you want to see a beautiful picture, read the first 11 verses real slow. Jesus is out there baptizing the converts. And while he's baptized, and the Bible said they came to John confessing their sin and he would baptize them. Brother Pastor, in my mind's eye, I see a long line of repentant sinners coming up before John, confessing their sin, receiving Christ, and John baptizing them and sending them on their way. But all of a sudden, around verse 8 and 9, John looks and standing in line is nobody other than Jesus Christ the son of the living God. And I just pitch a fit right here. He didn't confess his sins. You say, why? Because he didn't have any to confess. I enjoyed that so much. Can I say that again? He didn't confess his sins. You know why? He didn't have any to confess. Jesus said to John the Baptist, baptize me. And John being a forerunner of us Baptist, doubted, argued, offered excuses and said, wait a minute, I baptize converts. I can't baptize the converter. John said, I'm not even, what do you mean baptize? And Jesus said this to John, to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill righteousness. Bible study time. What is righteousness? Well, that's what God imparts and imputes to a sinner who trusts the gospel. Let me ask you this tonight. How does a righteous God pronounce an unrighteous man righteous and still retain his righteousness? How can a holy God take an unholy man and pronounce him holy and still retain his holiness? I'll tell you how. That repentant sinner puts his faith and trust in the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the message. It is the message of what? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Can I quote some scripture? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Can I quote another verse? Neither is there salvation any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Oh, can I quote some more verses? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call up upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, are you one of them simple gospel preachers? I'm glad you noticed that right from the start. 
The only people that make salvation hard is some two by four hyper Calvinists that don't know his head from a hole in the ground. Let me tell you what the Bible said. The bride says come and the spirit says come and whosoever will, let them come. I'm glad God's not particular who he saves. In fact, he saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. I'm glad God saves old sinners through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to fulfill righteousness. And so John takes Jesus to fulfill righteousness, to show that crowd how righteousness is imparted and imputed to a repentant sinner. And in type of his death and burial, he immerses him buried with Christ in that liquid grave. But in type of his resurrection, risen with Christ, he raises him up out of that grave. You Bible students, tell me what happens next. There stands Jesus. There stands John. They're waist deep in the Jordan River. What happens next? Well, John doesn't say anything. The bystanders don't say anything. Jesus doesn't say anything. All of a sudden, the heavens open and the Holy Ghost on the wings of a dove comes flying out of heaven and hovers over the shoulders of Jesus. And it had been 400 years since they'd heard a word from God. When you close your Bible in Malachi chapter number four, there are 400 years of darkness, 400 years of spiritual silence. And for 400 years, God has not spoken with many audible voices. But brother, he's got a can't of the can't help it now. There is Jesus in that water, that dove a flapping over his head, and God, not John, not the bystanders, not the priest, not the rabbi, not the Levite, but God leans over the balconies of heaven and speaks with a voice that shook the very foundation of the earth. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Brother, that wasn't John's voice. That wasn't the bystander's voice. That was the voice of Almighty God. You say, what's the point? Here it is. John was so faithful. John was so consistent in lifting up his voice. So one day God said, I'm gonna join in and I'm gonna lift up mine. And let me tell you tonight, church, it's one thing to hear the preacher's voice. It's one thing to hear the teacher's voice. It's one thing to hear the pastor's voice. It's one thing to hear the evangelist's voice. But brother, you'll never be the same when you hear the voice of God. And I'm glad one night Jesus spoke to me one day, praise his holy name. And I just believe if the church keep passing out tracts and knocking on doors and having Wednesday night and Sunday night and revival and Sunday morning and Sunday school. I believe if the church keeps lifting our voice and we'll be faithful in lifting our voice, it won't be long to God will come by and his voice will join our voice. And when God lifts up his voice, no one is ever the same. I grew up in this city from the time I was six till I was 16. We call it driftwood now because we're dignified. But in them days, it was frog level. 
You took your life in your hands going down that road. My daddy pastored that little church. And my daddy was an old-fashioned King James only. Jesus Christ, Holy Ghost, five rows spitting, hacking, Pentecostal, preacher of the gospel. My mama didn't preach, but she always wanted to. But if we'd have been church of God, she'd have had a church bigger than George Myers. Say amen right there. In fact, my mama knows more about the Bible than some preachers I know. Not only was my daddy a preacher, my mama a prayer warrior, but they took me to hear great preachers. Back on the other side of that building, in the early 70s, as a little toe-headed boy, I sat in an old ragtop tent one night while Maze Jackson from Atlanta, Georgia, was a preaching. God, I set your fields on fire. Lord, he gave the invitation. You had to have traffic directors. I tell people this. The first time I felt, now listen, born in church, raised in church, always believed the Bible, but the first time I felt a moving of God on my soul, I didn't get saved that night. But I never forgot it. The first time I felt and knew that this stuff was real, you guys were having John Long from Kentston, North Carolina, to preach a revival in that little building. And we got in late, and he was already preaching on hell. You could smell the smoke in the parking lot. Brother, for the first time in my life, buddy, I knew this wasn't just religion. This was reality. Boy, I heard some good preaching. I heard some good testifying. I heard some wonderful Sunday school lessons. I've heard the prayers and the testimonies of the people of God. I heard the voice of my mother. I heard the voice of my father. I heard the voice of our local law enforcement. Boy, get home. But you never saw me resisting arrest. Can I get an amen right there? And anybody that does that's crippled to eye for crutches. Just say amen. And I heard the voice of the teacher. I heard the voice of the evangelist. We moved out of here in February of 1979. And about August of June, June of 79, up in Reedsville, about 150 miles west of here. After hearing my daddy preach, my mama pray, Maze Jackson, Billy Kelly, Harris, I'm talking about son, the best of the best. I went in one night to a little Baptist church. I was playing the guitar and singing with a little group at our church. And boy, you listen to me. I had heard my daddy's voice. I had heard my mama's voice. I had heard the voice of the preacher, the missionary, the teacher, the evangelist, the shouter, the worshiper, the testifier, the prayer warrior. I had heard a lot of voices. But I'm telling you at Cana Land Baptist Church on that second Thursday night in the month of June 1979, I didn't hear my mama's voice. I didn't hear my daddy's voice. I didn't hear Maze Jackson's voice. I didn't hear a preacher's voice. I heard God Almighty, Jesus 
spoke to me. I heard his voice and I got under Holy Spirit conviction and for the first time in my life I realized my mama's religion wasn't enough and my daddy's wasn't enough and my family's pedigree was not enough and man I got bad loss that night but I'm glad I called upon the Lord and believed the gospel and he saved my soul. You say what happened brother Joe? I'll tell you about 40 acres of glory swept in the gable into my soul and the devil went to the phone booth and got to dialing 911 and I got passed from death unto life. He wrote my name in heaven and a dose of glory flooded my soul. I got a case of they can't help it and that's what's wrong with me tonight. I'm so saved I can't get over it because I heard the voice of God. Here's my point. I didn't hear his voice till I heard their voice. Brother, this world, the greatest way for them to hear the voice that draws them to bloody Calvary is for you and I to lift our one voice in this old wilderness of apostasy. In this world of great sin, you realize tonight our nation has never needed a revival any more than they need it tonight. You realize our nation has never needed Christian families more than they need them tonight. Do you realize our cities, our towns, our villages have never needed Bible preaching on fire, red hot churches like they need it tonight. Politics is not the answer. Socialism is not the answer. Communism is not the answer. The government is not the answer. Entertainment's not the answer. Materialism is not the answer. Money is not the answer. But the gospel, the name of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, it is the answer. It is the only answer and let's lift our one voice. You say, well, Brother Joe, one ain't many. Well, hold on to that thought. Noah didn't have but one boat, but it floated. Moses didn't have but one staff, but it parted the Red Sea. Samson didn't have but one jawbone, but he beat the tar out of them Philistines. Gideon only had one sword, but it knocked down the walls of Jericho. David only had one sling, and he killed the giant. Talking about the power of one, Jesus only had one cross and died one death, and they'll never crucify him again. But through that power of one, the whole world can be brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your voice is important. Your testimony is important. Let's lift our voice in this wilderness and point men and women and boys and girls to Jesus Christ who is the only answer for the problems in their life. True illustration. Brother Jeremy, remember last year you came down to the camp meeting on Interstate 85? When you, before you got to Spartanburg, you got to a little town called Cowpens, South Carolina. Anybody ever been to Cowpens? Let me tell you, it got its name. There were some pens out there, and somebody put some cows in it, and therefore they call it Cowpens. Bless God, I went to Ronald Crappets High School. I got an education. 
If you notice right there on the side of the interstate at Calpins, there's a mammoth, beautiful, mega brick church. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, brick, I mean, son, you can see it. Their sign is bigger than our church, huge. And they had the same pastor for 52 years. No wonder he died. You pastor Baptist 52 years, you might die from it. And his name was Dr. Jimmy Robbins. He said, Brother Arthur, I don't know if I've ever met him or not. If you have to ask that, you didn't. Because he was one of them kind, if you ever saw or heard, you never forgot it. He had a voice like a lion. I, I, I couldn't get over the way he looked. I mean, he wore a pair of alligator skin, dyed red cowboy boots. I just want to tell you something, brother. If you got a pair of alligator skin, dyed red cowboy boots, you're cool. He drove a red Lincoln in his red boots. He wore them big old blue suits with them gold buttons and a red tie. Preached from a red Bible. Lived in a white house with red shutters. Had a brick church with red carpet. At his funeral, there was 1,000 red roses decked on the back of that church. I asked him one time, I said, Brother Robbins, why do you like red? He said, stand for the blood, boy. Stand for the blood. One Sunday night after church, they went to get something to eat. And standing on the sidewalk beside of two motorcycles was two hell's angels. I, I, I don't mean the weekend warriors. You know, the one with the tricycle wheel with the... No. I'm talking the real thing, brother. I mean the tattoos that says mother. The rebel flags... The, the deep sea fishing lures, the whole thing, the hawk bill. And you say, were they packing? Yeah, packing. 38, 45, 41, 44. And when I see people like that, I'm very respectful. Hey, good to see you. How you doing? He walks up to them boys and said, hey. That guy went like that. He said, I ain't going to hurt you, son. He said, is that your holly right there? Yes, sir. I like it. And I like all that chrome you got on there. Well, you know a man that wears red cowboy boots is going to like chrome on a Harley. Say amen right there. He said, thank you, sir. And that preacher put his hand on that old boy's shoulder. He said, son, I want you to do Preacher Robbins a favor. He said, what's that? He said, don't you ride that thing into hell. Don't you ride it into hell, boy. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And whatever you do, don't you ride that thing into hell. Walked off, never saw him again. Five years later, one Sunday night, that hundred voice choir was in that choir loft getting ready to start service. One of my friends is the head usher in that church, Brother Spencer. He's back there at the back and all of a sudden the door opened and in walked this fine, upstanding, clean cut looking young man. My friend said, hey, sir, you're a visitor. We're glad you're here. Come on in. We're just getting started. You're welcome. Come on in. How did you hear about our church? 
And he said, sir, five years ago, a man in red boots with a red tie and a red Bible yelled at me. He said, that was my pastor. He said he said he'd like my holly and I'd like to chrome on that. But he wanted me to do him a favor and not write it into hell. He said, I could not get that out of my mind. He said, I believe he said his name was Preacher Robbins. I wanted to come see him. My friend said, sir, I'm sorry he died six months ago. He's buried out here in the cemetery. His family is still here and, and all of us remember him, but Preacher Robbins is gone. Why did you want to see him? He said, I wanted to thank him for lifting up his voice. He said, after he said to me that night, don't write it into hell, I couldn't get it out of my mind. He said, every time I started it, I'd hear, don't write it into hell. Every time I'd rev up that engine, I'd hear it, don't write it into hell. He said, every time we'd go to them big parties, that heavy metal music, them flashing lights, he said, I couldn't get smashed enough, high enough, stoned enough to get that voice out of my mind. Don't ride it into hell. And he said, sir, two years ago in the state of Missouri, God saved my soul. I'm teaching Sunday school, and they're going to make a deacon out of me next month. I believe the church needs a bunch of deacons that used to be hell's angels and got some whip stitches. Say amen right there. And he said, oh, sir, God's made such a difference in my life and I want to thank Preacher Robbins for lifting up his voice. I want to say this. He a man missed out on it down here, but I believe somewhere, and if you don't believe it like this, you can preach tomorrow night because I'm having a time tonight. I believe somewhere up in heaven, a loudspeaker came over and said, Preacher Robbins, the old boy just got in and he didn't ride it into hell and knowing that redneck, he'll ride it into glory. Hallelujah. He lifted his voice and somebody was never the same. Somebody in your family needs for you to lift up your voice. Somebody on your street needs you to lift up your voice. Somebody on your job needs you to lift up your voice. These houses, these streets, these apartments, these trailers, these homes, they need somebody from Victory Baptist Church to come by with the glow of God and the happiness of Jesus and say, he's the answer. He's the only answer. And it is no secret what God can do for what he's done for others. He can do for you. Let's lift up our voice. You say, preacher, I've done it. It's not done any good. Keep lifting. Keep lifting. Because one day God will honor your efforts. And he'll say what you can't say. And they may not listen to your voice. But honey, if they ever hear that voice, they'll never be the same. You got a song. Somebody needs to you sing it. You got a testimony. Somebody needs to hear you give it. You got a light. Somebody needs to see you shine it. You got a story to tell. Somebody needs to hear it. Let's lift our one voice. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. 
led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.